Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 202, we speak again with Brian Hurley. We talk about how you can use your Lean Six Sigma skills to help people in need and help improve the environment. All these details can be found for free in Brian's book, Lean Six Sigma for Good. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at e6s-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Brian Hurley is the founder and owner of Business Performance Improvement, a consulting firm in Portland, Oregon. His mission is to help businesses and organizations achieve triple bottom line performance using Lean and Six Sigma. For 18 years, he was the principal Lean Six Sigma consultant at Rockwell Columns, aerospace manufacturer in Wilsonville, Oregon. He is a certified master black belt, lean master, and has numerous sustainability certifications. He was hired in 1999 and has worked out of three different facilities, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Melbourne, Florida, Wilsonville, Oregon. He has a bachelor's degree in statistics, a master's degree in quality management and productivity, and lettered four years in football as a place kicker and punter at the University of Iowa. In his free time, he helps lead Lean Portland, a group of volunteer consultants who help nonprofits in the Portland, Oregon metro area implement Lean and Six Sigma. He is currently president of Recycling Advocates, a nonprofit organization in Portland that is dedicated to creating a sustainable future for local efforts to reduce, reuse, and recycle. How's everything going? It's going great. The main thing is that I'm working full-time since the last time we talked Mm -hmm. back in, looks like 2016, almost two years ago. So you're working full-time now or you're not working full-time? I am working, I'm full-time into my consulting on my own, I guess I should put it that way. Okay, so that, that how was that transition? What did that, how was, uh, what was the the fears and the goings-on and, um, you know, the consulting is feast or famine kind of thing, so how did you yeah. sort of mitigate those risks? Sure, yeah, and so this is something I've been thinking about for many years. I think a lot of Lean Six Sigma consultants Think about this at some point when they get in and start working in a corporation or a company and they do this and they, they realize, I think, that their skill set's pretty valuable. And then they say, you know, is this something I could do on my own at some point? So it's always been in the back of my mind. And I worked 18 years at my last company. So probably 17 or 18 of those, I was thinking about this. Um, I think that, you know, I did a lot of things to change up my lifestyle to make it less risky. Mm-hmm. We downsized quite a bit. My wife and I um, found, um, you know, paid off bills, got our uh, living situation down to something pretty, very affordable. Mm-hmm. Actually moved into a mobile home, right. which I've never lived in before. So that was, uh, it's been an interesting um, situation, but it's, it's good actually. It's better than I thought it would be. So things like that we've been working on over the years to try to simplify our life, minimize things so that I would have very minimal amount of bills to deal with. And then last couple of years, I've been really trying to network a lot in Portland area, meet a lot of people, talk to people in industries that I wanted to get more involved mm-hmm. with, and real, realize that there's a lot of need and not a lot of knowledge around these techniques. So I got excited, but I also realized it's going to take some time to really get busy with this because you're starting to educate um, groups of people that you have no idea what lean is. They don't understand Six Sigma. They don't have a manufacturing mm-hmm. background or engineering background. And so um, that's the good thing is that there's no one else, really a whole lot of people competing for work in these industries. But 
it's also you have to spend a lot of time developing the knowledge so that they realize that they want that help. Does that also mean that there's not a uh, payday in these industries? Like it's out of the good of your goodness of your heart? Um, it's some of it started to, but I've actually gotten a little bit of work with nonprofits mm-hmm. as a paid gig. So that was surprising. I didn't actually think that was a possibility. So that was surprising. Um, no, I think there definitely is a, um, a payday for a lot of this. And so initially I think it'll be just whatever the work I can get, but I definitely feel like I'm making, um, inroads into this, um, other industries. And we'll talk about these other industries, but, mm-hmm. um, recycling industry or um, waste management or um, some of the government um, national and state level. And so I think there's a need to look at or a desire to do things better and run their processes more efficiently and not be so uncontrolled, I guess Mm -hmm. is a good word. Um, I think they're looking for something and I think they just haven't had a lot of people trying to educate them or tell them about it. So Mm -hmm. no, I definitely think that was, the deciding factor is I thought that there was opportunities to make money as a consultant. Okay, great. So uh, you mentioned um, reducing to the mobile home. So was this, you know, part of me, you know, wants to believe that this was just so you could afford uh, to go out on your own, but basically what I've uh, been reading in on you and and listening to, you know, just watching your moves a little bit is um, how much of that was based off of your, personal dedication to reducing your uh, impact on, on the environment? Yeah, I think um, I would say it's both because it definitely was um, looking at it from a cost perspective. So when we were looking around Portland area, it was, it's an emerging market. It's getting expensive. Housing is yeah. becoming crazy. You know, it's in a growing up in the Midwest, it was um, nowhere near these types of prices. So you kind of get in the mindset of what you think something is worth. And then you look at the price of houses and you're just like, even if I could afford that, I don't know if I can justify it in my head. That just seems so crazy. So right. yeah, I definitely, but it, it, it was a key factor in terms of the price to go from, you know, what you pay for a one bedroom apartment to what we could pay for a mobile home. And I think that was actually, um, Probably a bigger impact. I don't know if I would moved if I wasn't thinking about the consulting. You were okay. So yeah, I think it was it was more it was almost as important as obviously having a smaller footprint. Um, we don't get the efficiencies in the mobile home as we did before, so that's a little bit of the downside. We get a small place, but a heating and cooling is not very good in those types of uh, homes. So you end up paying more, even though the, the square footage is smaller. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you are a, a pragmatist then. Uh, it's not just about out of the um, your ultra dedication to it. So what did you feel like you had to <laughs> give up? I mean, you, you got uh, the freedom of, of having – you had to give up a yard or something like that. Um, you know, what, what are the pluses and downsides to really downsizing like that? Um, you, you know, I think it was really trying to look at all the stuff you've accumulated and moved around over the years and listen to a, a, the Minimalist podcast. Mm-hmm. And that was really good about kind of ex- talking about your items and the importance of the items you carry around and what they mean to you and why they mean so what they mean to you and the importance of them. And a lot of the stuff I just realized, you know, I'm carrying around textbooks from college that I've never looked at. Oh. Why am I doing that? Um, can I scan those? Can I get them digitized some way if I do want to keep them or really, you know, if I did an Internet search, can I find almost everything in the book? 
online now, mm-hmm. which I can. So really just kind of looking at all those things and just methodically kind of chipping away at the size of, of the storage space that I was holding on to. And then over the last couple of years, we've just been every place we've gone has been a little bit smaller than the previous one. So it wasn't anything dramatic where we just got rid of everything, sold everything, and okay. moved into a tiny house. It was something that's been t- going over the last seven or eight years probably. Okay. But not dramatic, but each move seemed to be a little bit smaller than the previous one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've uh, essentially 5S'd your life, and, and <laughs> what you're talking about is the <laughs> same thing my wife is trying to do you know, with me. She's like, okay, here's this college textbook. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is it even relevant anymore? Right. Like, what year did you go to college? <laughs> is it even relevant? <laughs> you're like, it wasn't that long. One, two, oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Pluto was still a planet. <laughs> <laughs> Those half the people in the book are dead now. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> So, okay, thanks. Um, so let's talk about your uh, BPI, business performance improvement. What is your, you talked a little bit about what you're trying to get into, but uh, what's the official mission and vision of BPI? Yeah, so it's to work with organizations and businesses to help them become more sustainable or achieve a, we'll call it triple bottom line, is a phrase often used, where you're looking at your profits, of course, but also looking at the planet and the people side of it. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but right. really looking at a broader perspective around improvement. So where we normally look at a problem and say, okay, I've got a financial problem or I've got a, a cost issue. And that's what drives the project selection. You know, I'd like to work with businesses that also say, hey, we're, we're trying to reduce our carbon footprint. We're trying to reduce the amount of uh, materials that are going to landfill, we're trying to reduce our water usage, or we're trying to get our... Um, get more engaged in the community, maybe do some more volunteer projects and and teach them these concepts around Lean Six Sigma process improvement as a way to, to um, improve on those metrics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an area that they, um, not every company is, is focused on these types of metrics, but part of the moving out here to Portland was I thought that it's got the best shot at working out here. And if I can't make it go, make a go of it out here, then, then I'm, I'm too early for it, or there's just not that market for this type of um, help. Right. So where where do these customers uh, hide? You, you'll have a bunch that, okay, they're not even going to come to the table, and then you probably have a few that are, are near the table and need a little bit of a nudge. Have you found yep. that they, they um, are in similar industries or they travel in similar circles, and you have, have you found that circle? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I got involved in, when I came out here, one of the nonprofits I got involved with is called Recycling Advocates. Mm-hmm. And I got involved partly because I had done a, a Six Sigma project at my um, former college. I had gone back and taken some classes and I did a project at the football stadium and it was around recycling. And so that gave me some experience and um, everything's kind of been pulling me back towards this recycling industry work. Um, I didn't think that's where I was going to go. I thought because of my Six Sigma background, I thought, you know, energy efficiency projects or reducing energy, um, which I'd done at my last company, I thought that was going to be a path. But mm-hmm. I've just met up with a lot of people in that industry that um, feels like it's a it's a new it's a new topic for them. And so and part of the uh, nonprofit work that we've been doing out here as well, it's been on we've connected up with organizations that are in the reuse industry. So they're taking in donations uh, whether it's household goods or electronics or old growth wood coming out of mm-hmm. deconstructed homes, 
and they're reselling it to the public and then they're using that money for their mission. And so that's all kind of part of this recycling, reuse, waste minimization industry. And so everything's kind of been pulling me towards that. I heard one of your last uh, podcast episodes where um, there was definitely a reuse um, sort of company trying to make better use of 5S. Is this the same same thing you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. What was the, one of their main challenges they had to, to use you to help work through? So there's two groups um, we've been working with. Um, one is the Rebuilding Center, and they do reclaimed lumber. That's their primary revenue source, I guess, for the nonprofit and, and they were doing some organization of their hardware donations specifically. So all the things that go along with um, mm-hmm. household goods, so doorknobs and uh, plumbing, PVC piping, electrical outlets, things like that. Those are a lot of onesie, twosie, strange items, and they are trying to come up with a good system to get uh, help people organize and decide what should we receive for donations, how do we get it into a category, and then – how do we replenish it out on the floor? Mm-hmm. So I was involved with a little bit of the work on that one. The The other group is Free Geek, and they do electronic reuse. So they take laptops and smartphones and electronic devices, and they refurbish them, wipe the memory, and um, get them, test them out, make sure they work, and then they resell them. And they were just looking at the mobile devices that they get in, old iPhones and Androids and stuff like that, mm-hmm. iPads. And they test them out. And so the process is they receive them in, they evaluate what to work on, they, they test them out, run them through, and then put them up in their store. And that's either online or they have an actual physical store people can come into. Help them organize the incoming material. Mm-hmm. So the donations that came in were just going into a big box underneath the desk of whoever was the technician that day. Mm-hmm. And so we pulled all that out and just kind of put them in organization. Like, here's your iPhone 3s and iPhone 2s and 5s and 6s. And then the salesperson could come in and say, we need two of those, three of these, one of those. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was kind of, I think it was less, you know, if you, if you come across these work on those, but they didn't really know if they had any or not until they rummaged through mm-hmm. the box. And so it was really kind of trying to connect the salesperson and make them kind of like the customer pull in the process. And they could kind of dictate what they should be working on that they think will sell or where they think they have a, a lack of supplies in the store mm-hmm. or inventory in the store to be able to sell. So it's kind of a really interesting industry because they don't control the supply chain. Right. You, you're you at the mercy of whoever donates to you. And so you may get 10 iPhone 4s today or 4Ss, and you got to figure out what you want to do with those. If you want to process them, put labor into them, or you want to hold weight on them, keep them at the lowest value, and wait until there's demand for them. or And then you have to have a process that says, okay, there isn't demand, so how do we clean through our what's a, what's for sale and recycle it or donate it somewhere else right. and allow us to bring in more supplies and, and test those out and see if there's a demand, if the customers will buy those. So it's kind of a – it's a little different than what you'd normally think about is that you don't um, – you're not ordering supplies. They're just showing up on the dock. Hmm. And you got to fend for yourself and try to figure out what what do I replace out in the store that's already there or online, posted, ready for sale? How do I change that out quickly? So it's kind of like getting things through the store quickly. And if it sits there for too long, then either you need to discount it or we need to move on and make room for the new stuff coming in. 
changing out the the inventory was is really key. But they have to know how long things have been there. That's the problem. You know, you're trying to um, protect these things from hitting the landfill or wherever um, too soon, right? Uh, and so it must be a little bit yep. heartbreaking when you find that, okay, now I have to be the one to uh, send this a little bit closer to its grave, which you would think is a little bit <laughs> um, anti, anti-mission for that organization. But I got, the, I, got the, I got the impression, I think, from the episode that there was kind of just too much stuff to deal with. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And so you have either too much supply coming in and you don't have enough customers. And so part of it is how do we, you know, the constraint is that customers don't know about it or they're not choosing to go there to get their items. They're going to your local big box retailer and they're buying new things. So that's part of it. Or, and then you just have, you know, a lot of people that want to do something. We call it wishful, wish cycling or wishful cycling, recycling. And you want it to be recyclable, and so you give it to somebody and say, please recycle this because I don't want to mm-hmm. throw it away, but really there isn't a good mm-hmm. source to recycle it. So you're kind of just delaying the inevitable, and you, it feels like you're doing the right thing for a while. It's not actually getting to the right spot, being delayed there. Right. So um, so I think there's a little bit of that going on, too. It's People don't know about it, so marketing and outreach. And then the other part is a lot of stuff that probably shouldn't be received or accepted does because people just really have a hard time with it. And the volunteers really struggled with that too, is they came, they came there to help with the mission mm-hmm. and they want to keep things on landfill and then they're getting inundated with, with materials. And it's really heartbreaking for them to have to say, no, this has to go to recycling or I have to throw it away. So the best thing to do is let it sit on the shelf and take up space. Yeah. But that's not adding any value. either. Right. Yeah. And so it sounds like there's like a, a uh, so that there must be, considerable turnover there with different volunteers who aren't quite used to it. It's not like the same person doing the same job all the time. So something like standard work would uh, have to go, you know, quite far. Um, but you'd have to figure out what that is uh, before then. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the key things I've kind of noticed with the last, we've worked with about five or six different nonprofits. Uh, this is the volunteer work that I'm doing with a group called lean Portland. Um, and that is what we're seeing pretty consistently is, we want to be able to ramp up a volunteer very quickly, and that requires very well-documented processes, color coding, uh, signage, simplification of the process, and uh, being able to get them engaged and working right away, even on some small tasks. And not you can't have two hours of training right. and then one act, one hour of actual volunteer work, and then they you know they feel like I didn't really do much and I don't come back. Mm-hmm. So they have to figure out a way to reduce that. Um, onboarding time to minutes and uh, th- under 30 minutes or something like that so that they can quickly get in and start doing something unproductive mm-hmm. and feel like they're helping out. So they have a good experience and then they want to come back and now I don't have to retrain them because they came back a second time. Yeah, that is. So that's really the focus is getting those volunteers up to speed quickly. You know, that is a significant part of, of what might be a lean mission is who uh, it's, it's a, a, a volunteer engagement strategy to keep them wanting to come back and call it a volunteer experience, which uh, interesting twist. I've never heard it put that way, but um, it it, uh, changes the sort of the, it changes the role of an organization to be a little bit more um, 
we call it servant leadership in in in, in yeah. buildings, but uh, that or in in other profit companies an agile mindset. But so it kind of is servant leadership. You try to keep your employees because they are there willingly. Keep them wanting to come back mm-hmm. and work for you rather than donating their time somewhere else. Right. Absolutely. You don't. You're not paying them, so you have you have to hope that they're there for the mission. Um, some are assigned there. They're doing community hours or mm-hmm. work, so they those. Uh, individuals have to be there, um, but you want to make sure that they're engaged and they're having a good experience, and they continue to come afterwards, right. even when their their hours are up. So it's um, a big challenge, and and one of the first things we've had to overcome a lot is, well, we don't want to work in a factory. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard that many times. It kind of surprised me because maybe their perceptions of factories is different than what I've seen or experienced. It's obviously there's. I'm imagining that the perception is like you're working and you, the whistle blows and you just right. work nonstop and then you, you almost leave for the like day slave labor kind of uh, setup. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't, you know, there's I'm sure maybe some companies like that, but in the U.S., it seems like that's not as common that you just see people completely just you know constant work, 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 work. There is a little bit of engagement and and it's not a terrible mm-hmm. place to work. Um, so, so that's been really interesting to kind of understand their perceptions of what that means. And, they, and a lot of it thinks that to be productive and to add value, I have to be working all the time. And so we have to kind of overcome that idea that, no, this is about working smart, doing the right things at the right time and the right amount of those things. And the other real challenge is how do I balance it so that um, they're getting a diversity of work because – we don't want to burn them out on one task. Mm-hmm. We want them to see the different parts of the organization. So they, the experience that they have is definitely one of their metrics. And so normally we might look at productivity numbers or output or did we meet our schedule? Did we fulfill our Kanban cards as success factors? But here you have to add in that volunteer experience. Did I enjoy the people I worked with? Did I feel like I made a difference? And so we've actually been talking about setting up the daily huddle boards and including a metric around there on measures of volunteer experience and satisfaction. And that's, you should have that for any organization with your employees, but it seems like they're really focused on that. And that's great. Yeah. I think there's a, um, it's certainly more pronounced because they are volunteers. And I think a lot of corporations haven't gone down the path of, of uh, servant leadership so much with paid employees because well, you're paid to be here. I've already yeah. I've already compensated you for your time. <laughs> I really don't care how much you enjoy it or not. You know, it's a it's a hopefully an aging and, and antiquated mindset. But every now and then we hit the reset button, and and companies that you would think were maturing along those lines, you know, it gets a different type of leader, and then it <laughs> goes back the the goes other back way. Back to the old methods. Yeah. Right. Yep. I agree. I think it's hopefully something that's they're getting. It's moving away from that, but. Still there. Right. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit, talk about your book, Lean Six Sigma for Good. And I guess my first question is, why write a book? Good question. I I didn't think I was going to write a book. That was never a plan or a goal of mine or a a motivation to be an author. Um, I think a lot of it had just been over the years. I've heard people mention this as to, to communicate to different audiences. You have to be where those audiences are at. Not everybody's on Facebook. Not everyone's in social media. Uh, not everyone's got a LinkedIn profile. And so some people enjoy reading books 
and or listening to audiobooks. I've really gotten into Audible mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Um, I'm terrible at reading books, but I can listen to books all day long, and I've powered through tons of them in the last couple of years. Um, I love it. So, so to reach new audiences, I feel like I wanted to put the book together and kind of help that spread out. And you can, you know, do that internationally as well. And, and so through Amazon's platform, basically, I know that's a whole nother audience of people to kind of share the, me- the message. I think that I've been com- building up in the last couple of years is how do we get the lean Six Sigma practitioners or your industrial engineers or quality engineers or your project managers? How do we get all of them who are interested in wanting to go do something in their communities to not only just volunteer, but bring their skill set with them? So that then they're not, they're not just a pair of hands, but they're actually, hey, I get paid to do this at work and I can help right. you manage your projects or I can help you with that quality issue or I can help you improve the flow of this or look at your customer feedback data and help you come up with an improvement plan. Uh, that's going to be way and helpful to the organization in the long run than your two or three hours of cleaning up the place or helping being involved in a process which is def- desperately needed. And so they, they absolutely have to have volunteers to do that. But you have a skill set that you're bringing to it. It doesn't have to be Lean or Six Sigma. But if, if there's a way you can get more in, involved in that, those organizations and, and get into some of the, mm-hmm. the operations side of it, the, the, the areas they're having struggle with or that they're not sure how to address those to do that and help these organizations out and so that they can do more with the amount of resources and time and money that they do have. So I may have a bunch of people saying, yeah, I, I have the skills, I have the desire. How do I know where to go? What do I say to convince them? And how do I even you know get off the couch and start this? Yeah, and that's partly what I was trying to put together is, is give them some ideas to think about or problems, large-scale problems that are going on. So um, there's something called the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And there are 17 different goals that they've come up with over the years. They used to be called, I think, the Millennium Goals back in maybe 2000. And so they've kind of evolved. But basically, they've said these are the major problems going on in the world. And they try to lump them into these different buckets and say, you know, we've got issues with hunger. and We've got things with issues of poverty and clean water and clean energy and sustainable production and consumption and um, our strategies around climate action. And within each of these categories, there's a list of kind of a history of what the problems are. You know, X percentage of people in the world don't have access to clean water. And so if that, if one of those issues kind of hits home to you that says, yeah, that's really important to me because of my background or just something I care about or something triggers something inside of me, then, then there's plenty and plenty of nonprofit organizations that are out trying to address those exact problems. Maybe there's one even local chapter near you, or maybe it's just one organization that just got started and they're struggling along and they, they really need some help. Um, but there are really no shortage of, of people trying to address those issues. But um, that's where I was recommending is kind of people to start with that high level picture. Um, if they're, if they're not sure what organization they might want to be involved with or what problem they're trying to help improve. And then hopefully there's something local that they can do to get engaged. Um, Like I said, there's a local chapter of that organization, or maybe they realize there's a gap and maybe they want to start an organization. Mm -hmm. 
of people to go address that issue. So I guess there's no excuse. The, the, the bare minimum somebody could do is Google it and see what they have in their local area. Uh, and uh, if, if they don't have a website, I guess that makes it a little bit more difficult. But uh, the likelihood, I would think, is a lot of these would have some sort of online presence, even if it's just a, uh, a Facebook uh, page. Right. Thanks for listening to Episode 202 of the eSuccess Methods Podcast. Stay tuned for episode 203, where we continue our discussion with Brian Hurley. Hashtag Lean Six Sigma for good, part two. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comments section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.